We're going we're gonna to just um, do things a little bit backwards this morning. We're going to read scripture and then we're going to sing the song of preparation. Uh, because that song is going to lead us right into the sermon. So, scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. And it's chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14, verse 1 to 25. And when I'm finished reading this, I'm going to flip to Second Thessalonians and read a couple of verses that will supplement and tie into this passage. Luke, chapter 14, one Sabbath. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in God's law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man... He healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back. And reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. 
Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And from 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning at verse 5, Paul writes, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are now suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. God's word. Let's stand to sing Jesus Messiah. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. Did I hear that right? He became sin who knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. He never tore someone to shreds with his words, never lit into anybody. Never got caught up in a fit of anger, rage, or hatred. Never held a grudge. Never spoke a word that wasn't true. Kept every promise that he ever made. He became sin who knew no sin. Never ogled somebody lustfully with his eyes, whether in person or on paper or on the internet, pure and holy, and he became sin, who knew no sin. He became sin, the sinless one, perfect, perfect in love. Every word that he ever said was meant to build up and to bring life. And he was killed. He who knew no sin, became sin. And He, He, He is inviting us to a banquet. He's inviting us to a party. We're honored guests at His party. The pure, the perfect, the holy, the worthy, the glorified, the sinless One is inviting us to a party. He's inviting us 
How could anyone look on Him? How could anyone see Him for who He is and look on Him and not say, O Lord, my God, I worship You. I worship You with all that I am and all that I have. Yes, You're inviting me? How could anyone look on this one? How could anyone know Him who became sin, who knew no sin, and look on Him and reject that offer? And yet, as we enter into that text this morning, here they stand, looking carefully at Jesus, watching Him like a hawk. They're observing Him, judging Him, standing in judgment over Him, but not submitting to Him. Luke says they were watching carefully. And because He loves them and He wants to draw out of them love, He says to them, is it not lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they won't answer. They stand in judgment. They know the answer. If they thought He was wrong, they would have said something. But they knew he was right and they were too proud to say anything. We never do that, do we? We never look on at what Jesus is doing around us or through somebody else and, and stand back and watch without saying anything, without letting our hearts be moved or get involved. But Jesus, Jesus who loves them, doesn't even stand in judgment over them yet. Jesus still wants to draw them in, and so he says to them, Come on, if one of you has a child, your own child, if one has a child who falls into a a well, he's appealing to their hearts, not their minds, not what they know is right. Is it lawful? Their hearts. If your own child falls in, won't your love motivate you to get that child out of the well? Won't you go after them? And still, they're silent. Still, they're too proud to say anything. And so Jesus, because He loves them, speaks the truth and He diagnoses their pride and He does it publicly by telling a parable. He doesn't point right to them and say, you're proud. He says, look, when you go to a feast or a party, don't choose the most important spot. Choose the lowly spot because the ones who choose the important spots, well, they'll get humbled. But those who choose the lowly spots, they'll get, ex- they'll get exalted or lifted up. He's telling this story to speak to each proud heart about the obstacle that's keeping them or preventing them from receiving him. Who became sin, who knew no sin. Him who longs to give his life holy and righteous and good, abundant, who longs to fill and renew and heal, but there's an obstacle. And he wants to remove that obstacle. And so he says, don't be proud. Follow the way of humility. And you know that he's calling them to follow his way because who humbled himself? Paul says, He who is equal with God considered equality with God not something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and going even to death on a cross. 
Jesus is calling them, follow me, follow my way, the way of humility, the way of the kingdom of God, the way into the kingdom of God, the way to the feast, the way to the blessings. It's humility. It's nothingness. It's emptiness. It's saying, I don't bring you anything, but I bow before you. I lower myself. And that way, the way that comes with nothing, is also the way that gives everything, because it's received everything. And so Jesus moves on to say, come in humility, but give with generosity. You who've received everything by grace, pour out grace. And so when you give feasts like this, don't give it to those who can pay you back, but be like God. That's what he's saying. Be like me. Be like God who gives generously to those who can't pay him back. Then you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And because he is again calling out their sin publicly, naming their selfishness, naming the fact that they've invited each other and not those who can't repay them, the tension is mounting in the room. Maybe you can't feel it right now, but if I started to name your sins publicly, you'd start to feel it. If I started to call them out and tell stories that highlighted the things that you're struggling with, you'd start to feel that pressure rising. And they're feeling it. And that's why I believe that one man says, Blessed are all those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Translation, Can't we just all agree about what we have in common? We're all going to be in heaven at the feast in the kingdom of God, aren't we? He's latched on to what Jesus said about the resurrection of the righteous. And he's thinking, we're all going to be there. We're all righteous, aren't we? And so then Jesus tells a story to tell us who's really going to be at the banquet, at the party, at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, a certain man was going to have a banquet. And he sent out notice. In other words, he let everybody know far ahead of time. And they would have RSVP'd. They would have said, yes, I'm planning to attend. And so when they come back with these one, two, three excuses, these are lame, in-your-face, rude unbelievable responses. The people listening to Jesus' story would have gone, what? For us, it would be like the president coming to Grand Rapids and saying he's selecting 100 people to come to his banquet and you're one of them and he comes to town and we say, I'm sorry, i got to wash my dog. That's what it's like. That's what they're saying. I've got to wash my car. I've got to babysit for my next door neighbor's grand niece who's 16. You don't do that. You don't do that. And what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking very concretely to the people of Israel because they're the people that God's been working with. God blessed them to be a blessing to the world Through them comes Jesus, but God's had a long history with them. He's been speaking to them, and so they have already received 
an invitation to the feast. That's why the man who's feeling the tension can say, blessed are all those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Because there have been prophets, there have been messages, there's a history, and there's expectation. This isn't happening in a vacuum. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you've already been invited, and now you're being told the time is ready, the kingdom is coming, it's here in me, and you're stiffing me. You're rejecting me. And so the question for them becomes, well, what then will be God's response? God who's been preparing a banquet. God who is offering a feast and has been proclaiming a coming kingdom of righteousness. A world where evil is dealt with and eventually expunged. A new creation. What's God's response going to be and he says that God's response is to say go out and invite in this group of people that everybody listening would have been like what at a banquet at a feast and the servant says well they've already been invited but there's still room and the master says go out and compare He says, go out further. Go out to the highways and the byways. Go out along the hedges, some translations say. Out into the the sticks, where they might not know this rich man in the city. Go and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. And when when I first started chewing on this section of the text, it confused me. because Because compel, can you just flip back a slide to compel for a sec? Oh, we can't really see that real clearly. Every definition of that word compel has something to do with force and strength and the one who is bringing others in exerting that force. And I thought, now this this doesn't sound like God to me because God doesn't force people against their will. You know, God invites. He woos but doesn't force. He offers He longs to make new, but again, does not transgress our will. Because our will is what's so important to being created in the image of God that we get to choose. How can it be that this servant is being told, go compel them? What I realized was this. That these people from the hedges and the sticks and way out would need to be compelled in the story because they had no idea who this man was and it would make absolutely no sense to them that a rich guy in the city who they did not know wanted to invite them as an honored guest at his banquet. It would not fit their frame of reference for someone to do that. It was unheard of. And so they would have been thinking things like, is this a trap? Like, am I going to get actually taken in and sold into slavery? Or is this a bait and switch? This doesn't happen. People like me, people who have nothing to offer, we don't get invited to feasts with the rich in the city. And so the slave or the servant would have to go and he'd have to to convince them, no, you really got to come. My master is like this. This is really his character. He really wants you at his feast. 
He really is inviting you just because of the goodness and the graciousness and the generosity of his heart. He just wants to feed you. He just wants to bless you. He just wants to pour out his goodness on you. This is my master. You've got to know my master. He's that good. I don't know. I never met anybody like that. Are you seeing, are you seeing how this relates to evangelism and the way that we share the good news about Jesus Christ? You've got to compel. We've got to compel because they don't know how good is our God and loving, and gracious, and longing to forgive, and cleanse, and pour out blessings. He says, compel them. Compel them. We cannot compel who have not first been compelled. We cannot compel who have not first been compelled. And so, as we sit here this morning, the first thing we've got to say to ourselves is, Have I been compelled? Have I found myself in awe and adoration, in tears at the feet of the one who became sin, who knew no sin, and who looked me in the eyes and said, I want you, and you, and you, at my party, at my feast in the kingdom of God. I want to give you, and you, and you, new life. I want to give you my life. And have we received that life with all its joy and its peace and its blessings in its fullness? We cannot compel who have not first been compelled. And so my first prayer this morning is that just in the hearing of this word and of this story that God would be compelling all of us, all of us, toward Jesus Christ. Those who know Him a lot, those who know Him somewhat, those who know Him just a little, and those who don't yet know Him but are being drawn to know Him. That we would all be compelled by the grace and the greatness and the love of this One who says, compel them to come so that my house will be full. Why does his house have to be full? He doesn't say it, but I believe there are two reasons at least. The first has to do with the fullness of his love. And and his desire to lavish that love. Somehow, in some way, there's a completeness to the bride that Jesus is calling to himself. The scripture uses the image of bridegroom for Jesus Christ and bride for us who are his. And the bridegroom who loves looks longingly on his bride who's coming down the aisle. Anyone who stood up here as a man and waited for his wife to walk down the aisle knows that that is one of the most beautiful, holy tear-filled moments that can ever be had on earth. There's nothing like waiting for your bride. There's nothing like coming to your bridegroom. And like the consummation of love, he has a fullness of love that he longs to pour out on us who've had lives that were 
empty of love or had half-baked love or false attempts at love. He is love, says the word of God. And he will go to all lengths, all lengths to pour out that love. And so his house needs to be full because his love is full and he wants to ravish his bride with that love. But there's another reason. And that's the reason that we read in 2 Thessalonians. And that, that is that he will be glorified. And he will be marveled at. And that glory won't be half glory. It won't be half hearted glory. It won't be half hearted marveling. He is going to have a bride and a house full of those who marvel and worship at he who knew no sin but became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In the kingdom of God, there will be no one who does not marvel and worship and say glory to Jesus. Glory to God. And everyone who comes will come by the way of Jesus. And that's the way of humility. As we lower ourselves, he raises us up. As we come saying, Lord Jesus, I don't have anything to offer, anything to give, except faith, except the belief that you did this for me. And I receive it. He lifts us up, looks us in the eye, speaks his love, fills us. I can see him compelling many of you as he speaks right now. We're going we're gonna to respond to this word. by singing in just a moment the song, Even So Come. Even So Come. But I want to invite first that while we sing that song, that if you've not ever come to Jesus and you hear God the Father speaking of his love to you right now, that you would come, that you would come, that today would be the day where you would be compelled, that you would let nothing hinder you from coming. And if you have been cold in your reception of his love and your giving of your love back to him, that you would come. That you would come even as he has come. That coming can look like getting on your knees and talking to the Lord. It can look like going to someone and saying, pray with me. It can look like many different things. I just implore you now. I compel you. I am compelled to say, let nothing prevent any one of us from being at the feast. New creation. New heavens, new earth. Tears wiped away. Fullness of relationship. New bodies, glory, let nothing stop you from coming.